What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again i appreciate you asking me back so you said you were going to pinch yourself i didn't know it was that kind of show now i mean if you guys are in the privacy of your own home if you want to do these things good how you doing chad hey johnny cool man what's going on we're ready to go or what uh, uh, hey man what's up guys this is homicide oh that's my homie homicide with a big homie club yeah that would be it hey this is david penzer and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick shit out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now... They bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by the WWE Network. Head on over to wwenetwork.com slash TMPT and start your one-month free trial of the WWE Network, courtesy of your friends here at the two-man power trip of wrestling. And for those of you that did subscribe during the WrestleMania season, the WWE Network is sending a big thank you to you by offering you a free digital download of the WrestleMania 34 program. So head on over to wwenetwork.com slash TMPT and take advantage of that one-month free trial and get your digital copy of the WrestleMania 34 program today. 
And if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only John Paz. And John, today on the show, we are going quite deep. We are going quite controversial for a guy who definitely had a run cut off at the legs in the WWE as we are joined by Mark Copani, a.k.a. Muhammad Hassan, joining today's program. And with Muhammad Hassan, you think back to that illustrious end of 2004 into 2005 where Muhammad Hassan was quite possibly the biggest heel in the professional wrestling world, taking on the likes of Hulk Hogan, taking on the likes of Shawn Michaels, taking on the likes of John Cena, and bringing to the forefront the rage that the American wrestling fans still had towards a foreign heel. And Muhammad Hassan and his counterpart, Davari, played their part to absolute perfection and really brought it back to the likes of the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov and the heat that we lived through in the 80s during the uh, the top flight foreign heel run that Vince McMahon had kind of put into place as those number one heels. But Muhammad Hassan also kind of dropping off the uh, the wrestling landscape over the last 10 years after retiring from the WWE, after leaving the WWE. He went into becoming a teacher and he went into becoming an administrator. And we find out all about that career, which, you know, when we talk to these guys, I got to tell you something. I find that to be almost as fulfilling as reliving some of the greatest moments in the careers is finding out what they did with their time afterwards. But there's a lot to cover. Mark had a great take on the Muhammad Hassan character as well as the end of the Muhammad Hassan character, which was kind of forced on the WWE by the UPN network. But we'll get all into that now, John, as I welcome you in here now. Talk a little bit here about Muhammad Hassan and this interview with Mark Capani, obviously a character that was really cut off at the legs or, you know, if you want to really take it extreme, cut off at the neck where they were uh, last seen doing that to The Undertaker. But Muhammad Hassan, he disappeared from the wrestling scene, but we found him. And obviously uh, we bring to light a lot of the stories that have been tucked away for about the last 10 years or so. Yes, great stuff. Absolutely love this interview with Mark Capani, a.k.a. Muhammad Hassan. And it's interesting with some of these guys that had such a high-profile run in the WWE. And then, you know, obviously what we know now, the WWE killed the gimmick, literally killed them off on TV, released them a few months later, and then he basically retired, never going into the independent scene, never going to TNA or ROH, anything like that, basically retiring eventually becoming a principal in a, in a school system. So it's interesting to see that the guy had huge high-profile feuds, huge high-profile matches. In the six, seven short months that he was in WB, he was getting a huge push. And then all of a sudden, it could just come crashing down just like that. And we do kind of talk about in the interview and allude to the fact that he was also on track to win the world title from Batista and that was always kind of a big rumor. So when, once those rumors are out there, I always want to go straight to the horse's mouth and straight to Mark and ask him and say, you know, what happened? And we, we do get the whole story about what happened. Was he actually supposed to win the world title? Was that rumor true? Um, you know, was he going to have a, a long run with it? Things like that. And these are things that they brought up to him and told him straight facts. That, that these things were going to happen in his career and that he was going to do this and he was going to do that. So I do like hearing those kind of backstage stories come to life, so to speak, because you never truly know if that is actually true or not. And, and I love getting down 
to the nitty gritty and, and getting those rumors out there and squashing them and finding out if they're true or not. And really, if you think about it, he probably, if he didn't get killed off, literally get killed off by the undertaker, probably could have won that match by, you know, hooker by a crook probably should have beat Batista at SummerSlam and the crowd would have went nuts. They would have hated it. They were in the nation's capital of Washington, D.C. Batista is a hometown boy in D.C. who had all the perfect elements for a huge, huge heel winning that title and a heel playing that somewhat of a terroristic, you know, Arab-American hated uh, Muslim gimmick. It would have been perfect, would have been the perfect storm for that to happen. So we do go into deep, deep detail on that. We talk about his whole WWE run, a lot of good stuff there, not only on Undertaker, but also on WrestleMania 21 and also about Hulk Hogan. And that's where I kind of want to take it with my WWE Network recommendation. Yes, WWEnetwork.com slash TMPT. Get a free month, and that free month will include the biggest pay-per-view of the year. Oh, wait, did WrestleMania just happen? No, it's the real biggest pay-per-view of the year, so to speak, on the network. The Greatest World Rumble in Saudi Arabia, which is shaping up to be way bigger than the WrestleMania, and quite frankly, way better than WrestleMania. And you can get that for free, according with your free month, wbnetwork.com slash TMPT. And of course, I do my network recommendation. And that would be, of course, the aforementioned WrestleMania 21. So Go to the network, go to the search bar, go to the WWE, hit the pay-per-views, go to WrestleMania 21, and check out Muhammad Hassan getting a crazy amount of heel heat, getting absolutely booed out of the building, getting some real, real hatred spewed on him, and then the surprise return of the God himself, the Babe Ruth of wrestling, Hulk Hogan. So that would be my network recommendation. Check that out, WrestleMania 21. That is WWEnetwork.com slash TM. And you can't go wrong when it comes to Hulk Hogan and Muhammad Hassan. And we bring it up in the interview. We were there at Madison Square Garden when Hulk Hogan returned to the Garden for the first time since his Hall of Fame induction. And really his first time back in the WWE after about three years. And the roof blew off the place and we talk about it with Muhammad Hassan. How did we know that was going to be his pretty much his uh, benchmark moment as that character uh, in the business? So that was really cool to kind of put those two chips together because John and I, we were, we were there. That was 2005. That was a hell of a time to be a fan. And, and really, uh, you know, after what we just experienced uh, over the last couple of weeks in, in wrestling, I uh, wish it was 2005. And maybe even from the life perspective, I wish it was 2005 because uh, things were a lot easier back then. But just please go check out what John recommended from the network. Enjoy this interview with Mark Capani. Uh, he's starting to get on the scene a little bit. He's starting to do some independent shots, starting to do some conventions and do a couple interviews but you know how we are we got to get these rare guys on the show and we got to get the stories out there that maybe you missed on another interview or two and we definitely try that today so we want to thank mark for taking the time and staying up late with us because this guy is a principal so he's got to get ready for work and he's got a great job ahead of him so he's got to uh, kind of dial it back so folks we hope you enjoy it and, and we talk about this every week and you're going to be hearing a lot about it over the next couple of weeks TMPT Con 2 is headed your way on May 19th down in Richmond, Virginia at the Holiday Inn. 
We couldn't be any more excited to get the road to TMPTCon started. If you don't know the names, TMPTCon 2 features not only John and myself, of course, we'll be there, but Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, Eric Bischoff, The Barbarian, Nikolai Volkov, C.W. Anderson, Mikey Whipbreck, Henry Godwin, Rugged Ronnie Garvin, Solo Darling, Independent Wrestling Star. There's so many people coming to TMPTCon. If I forgot you, we'll get you in the next couple of weeks, but head on to our website, tmptofwrestling.com and get more information about TMPTCon2, how you can get tickets, how you can join us, not only for our convention, but also our nightcap event that we have at the Backyard Grill down there in Richmond, Virginia, following TMPTCon with Eric Bischoff, where it's going to be dinner, it's going to be drinks, and it's going to be a very intimate Q&A with Eric Bischoff, where you can ask him any question you have ever wanted to. But again, head on over to tmptofwrestling.com, hit us up on facebook.com slash tmptofwrestling, and you'll get all the ticket information and all the event page details on how you can join us, because folks, it's going to be one hell of an event, and it's really, it's only a few weeks away, and my gosh, we're going to ramp up like crazy over the next few weeks, so if you're not coming, we are sorry to hear that. If you are coming, man, we are going to be in for one hell of a time, so get your tickets today for TMPTCon2. So now, as we start to wrap it up here and the music starts to creep in, John, hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business, and let's get it on over to Mark Capani, a.k.a. Muhammad Hassan. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno Sammartino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. And for all you Android users, please hit us up on Google Play or Player FM. And all you iOS users, please check us out on TuneIn Radio, Automatic, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio. Follow along with a two-man power trip as we come to a town near you. Join us in Richmond, Virginia for TMPTCon 2, May 19th at the Holiday Inn with feature guests Kevin Nash, Easy e Eric Bischoff, Mikey Whipwreck, Mark Canterbury, and so many more. So follow along with the two-man power trip as you never know where we may land. And now, without... Any further ado, a former WWE superstar, a former OVW World Heavyweight Champion, one of the biggest heels in the history of the WWE, he is Muhammad Hassan, a.k.a. Mark Kupani. Please enjoy.
Well, joining us on the line tonight is a man formerly known as Muhammad Hassan in the WWE. You might also remember him as Mark Magnus in OVW, where he was a former OVW World Heavyweight Champion. This is a phenomenal guest to have on with us tonight, and we welcome in Mark Capani. Thank you so much for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, thank you guys for having me, man. Oh, we appreciate you coming on because, you know, we've had the chance to talk to a lot of people that you worked with. We've had a lot of chances to talk about a lot of things that you did, but we've been dying to talk to you. So I got to tell you, it's a, it's a real thrill to have you on. And uh, it's really cool to uh, maybe bring you in here and, and talk about some of these great stories that, you know, we want to touch on here tonight. Yeah, absolutely. Whatever you guys want to talk about. All right. So let's put it to you this way. How have you been? How's your post-wrestling career been, and, and, and how's life going for uh, Mark Capani these days? Oh, it's going good. It, it's been busy. Um, after wrestling, I spent a, a few years in Los Angeles. I was working on some screenplays and doing minor productions out there, but you know what? It doesn't always go the way you planned it. Um, I had always had a passion for education ever since I was in high school. I had incredible teachers. I went to Cicero, North Syracuse, out here in uh, Syracuse, New York. Um, I went back to school when I was 29, got my undergrad, and then I went right through. I got my master's degree after that. I got my CAS after that, which is a Certificate of Advanced Study. It's um, basically a second master's degree in educational leadership. And I have been the vice principal of G. Ray Bodley High School in Fulton, New York for the last three years. That's awesome. That's, that's one hell of an accomplishment to, uh, to get that far and uh, to be in a role like that already, because my wife's a teacher, and I know that that's a, uh, that's a really big-time position to get. So the passion for teaching, now, was that something that you said you always had, but was that something that you thought while you were going through your days in wrestling training that you'd end up kind of being in another uh, you know, realm of uh, wrestling people, but this time more of the students and administrators than, uh, than the grapplers and the, uh, the workers? <laughs> no, you know what? I don't think I ever saw myself doing this. Uh, at the time, because, I mean, at the time I was in my mid-20s, I was very focused on wrestling um, and the entertainment field in general. So this was something that I, I had been passionate about. When I went to college, uh, University of Buffalo, my first time around, um, I had majored in history because I always had a passion for history. And I ended up becoming a social studies teacher. But, uh, no, I, I don't think I saw myself here until I was a little bit older, maybe a little bit more wise and, and a little bit you know, more amped to settle down. Um, and this is, this is proven to be fun. You know, my, my job is very challenging. It's difficult, but most of the time it's incredibly rewarding and I love what I do. Now I'm, I'm friends with a, uh, a former OVW and WWE contemporary of yours, Chris Pavone, otherwise known as Chris Cage, Kalen Croft, who also came through OVW, but also transitioned into being a teacher. He's an art teacher down in Florida. So the question we had with him when we first started talking to him was, how is that kind of parlaying that personality of being a wrestler to then interacting with the students? And when they do get that aha moment and they find out your background, is that, uh, is that something you look forward to? Or is that something that you kind of hide uh, from the students and the, and the teachers that are working with you? Uh, no, no hiding. And Chris Pavone is a very close friend of mine. Um, amazing, amazing human being. So I'm happy to hear how he's doing down in Florida. We still stay in touch every now and again. But you know what? Teaching is a lot like wrestling because we're talking about 14, 15, 16-year-old kids that are impossible to engage. And so to get these kids to buy in and become interested in the content that you're teaching, whether it's art or social studies or math or science, 
you have to be engaging and entertaining. I mean, you have to work the room. You have to be funny. You have to be charismatic. Um, I mean, you know, teaching in itself is an arts and it's entertainment. So it was a natural transition. And, and I never talk about, I never talked about wrestling openly until it comes up. Um, part of me feels like it's a little unprofessional. It takes away from what I'm trying to do as my job. But when it comes up, I'll talk to kids. And, and I think a lot of kids, especially my role now as a vice principal, they, they know that I've been places and I've, I've accomplished things. And when I tell them to persevere and I tell them they can do better and I tell them they can be better, um, I think they're a little bit more prone to trust me because of my background. And no, I'm not just blowing smoke. So wrestling to teaching, I mean, I could write a book about how that transition was fairly smooth and, and how that you learn to work the crowd when you're a wrestler and you learn to work the room when you're a teacher. And as an administrator, <laughs> You're a teacher for not just one room, but for the entire building. So that that sort of experience and the knowledge that I gained from wrestling has really helped me as far as my career in education. So what was the first time where somebody encountered you and said, wait a second, you know, I think I know you from somewhere. Did you have like that first hesitation or were you coming out forward and be like, hey, I am who you think I am, and uh, let's hear it. I'll tell you about Hulk Hogan. I'll tell you about Vince McMahon. I'll tell you everything. But what was the first experience like when somebody did recognize you for the first time? Well, I'll tell you, I didn't put on my job application. <clears throat> I didn't think it was relevant. And also, I was a little worried that it would scare potential employers away. Uh, the first job that I interviewed for, for my first teaching position, had hundred, about 110 uh, applicants. So... Um, I went in there and I interviewed with the principal and the social studies facilitator, the department chair, the person who runs that department. And he was a, uh, Justin Enright was a huge sports fan, um, knows everything about everything about sports. And I, he was, he was just looking at me and looking at me and looking at me. And he could tell that he was putting something together. But um, it wasn't until after I went back from my second interview that he had he let me know that he knew about the wrestling. And then at that point I had already gotten the job. I did a performance interview where I taught a lesson and, you know, he said he joked around that that was one of the reasons why he hired me, whether it was, <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm sure it made me stand apart from the other 110 applicants. Now, when I interviewed for my principalship in Fulton, uh, they actually called me back for another interview because once they started researching, they found out about the wrestling and they had a lot of questions, whether it affected, you know, my, my ability in the classroom and whether it was a distraction. And to be perfectly honest, it has never been a distraction. It's always been a positive and it's always been something that I've been able to use to my advantage. And you know that for a fact with kids and even underprivileged kids or kids that might come from a broken home, they, they try to grasp onto things and wrestling seems to be something that a lot of kids do attach themselves to. And obviously that's a common ground. And I know when you deal with administrators and when you deal with teachers who do take an interest into kids, you do look for that common ground. So have you used wrestling to your benefit with those, uh, you know, those types of students, like I just mentioned? Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I, I stopped watching wrestling, nothing against the product. I just, I was busy. I mean, you know, getting your masters and your CAS is pr pretty time consuming. Um, but I have since watched it sporadically, uh, WrestleMania, I definitely read the, you know, the updates and the, the you know, the reports on it. Because kids come up to me and they want to talk about it. And I can't just sit there and pretend like I don't know what's going on. So I definitely use that to my advantage. And, and kids will always come up and approach me and ask me, what do you think of WrestleMania? What do you think of Ronda Rousey? What do you think of this? And so I, I have to stay up to date as best as I can to engage these kids. 
Yeah, we'll definitely talk about WrestleMania and you because there's a huge moment that we're gonna uh, we're gonna get to. We we have to. And uh, I was telling John, I almost wish this was a week ago, so it would have been the perfect build up to uh, to WrestleMania because your your moment's pretty pretty damn good. So we'll get we'll get to that in just a few minutes here. But I just kind of want to circle back with the teaching and stuff. And then obviously, you know, you perform in front of crowds. You perform in front of a guy who could be the most strict critic in the world, in Vince McMahon. So pressure is one thing. So so pressure in the ring pressure backstage pressure trying to train how do you deal with that when it came to dealing with parents and when it came to dealing with people in those kinds of positions in the in the teaching world you know did you feel like that experience in the in the you know the political realm of wrestling kind of set you up as well for these outside wrestling experiences yeah it definitely did as far as you know it might as far as knowing how to work a crowd so to speak and what i mean by that is you have to make people feel comfortable in my profession and make them very aware that you're on their side and that you, as well as they, have their child's best interest in mind. I mean, wrestling was a little contradictory because I was always the heel. And in this role, I am not the bad guy, at least most of the time. I mean, I try not to be um, and I really can't be. But it's that exchange and it's that use of your personality and your charisma and the things that work for you to motivate others. And, and with parents, a lot of times it's, it's for me, it's seeing the good in every kid, regardless of, of how bad they may act. And it's telling the parents about the good before you get to the bad that puts them at ease. And again, a lot of it comes from my experience in wrestling and dealing with some strong personalities in the locker room, as well as dealing with crowds and knowing and learning, more importantly, how to motivate people or, or how to influence people in a positive way. Because you don't want to be negative. You don't want to leave a negative mark regardless of the circumstances. And so, yeah, I mean, and the pressure from wrestling, the pressure in education doesn't nearly compare to the pressure in wrestling. I mean, it, it's it, it can be a little nerve-wracking when you have a pretty contentious situation. I mean, I had, I had one today that, that – you know, I'm talking about a, a young girl who's afraid to go home because she's going to be abused. And it, there's, there are, I work in a very underprivileged district. And the, the pressure that I learned to deal with in wrestling and remain cool in the ring because you have to, um, it definitely has translated because people mirror what you do. And if you remain cool and you remain calm and you stay positive, they're going to give that back to you. But once you lose your shit, excuse my language, they're going to lose theirs as well. So that pressure has definitely prepared me for my career in education without a doubt. Now, did you have anybody in your wrestling career that you did lean on as a mentor or as somebody that you could go to for questions? And obviously, you know, we've heard a lot of stories that have come out of that, you know, mid-2000s OVW class and into the guys that made it to the main roster. You know, different stories and different things. But did you have one person that you could go to in, in a time of need or in a time for advice? I had a few. I mean, you know, Nick Dinsmore, Rob Conway, Shelton Benjamin, um, you know, they're, they're, even Dave Batista, I knew Dave from OVW, Dave lived in DC, I lived in DC, so we would be on the same planes usually. I mean, you know, and Sean Davari, of course, even though he was younger than me, Sean had a lot more experience than I did. Um, you know, I got by with the help that I got from a lot of my colleagues. And, and so I couldn't really pinpoint one person. Of course, my trainers, Jimmy Cornette, Danny Davis, Rip Rogers, but you know, it, it, I was kind of a it takes a village kind of person because I was really green. 
I was rough around the edges. And, and as I've said many times before, at the, in my 20s, I was pretty arrogant. And, and you know, I, I had a tendency to do the wrong thing. So and as you're talking about learning from experience, there were some experiences that I definitely learned from back then. Now, obviously, you're in OVW. You get to OVW. You become the OVW champion. You beat Johnny Jeter. But I want, kind of wanted to know about when you're leaving OVW and they're, you know, you're Mark Magnus and they change you over to Muhammad Hassan. How does that kind of transition go? Is that something that's your idea, that's Cornette's idea, that's Vince's idea? How does that whole thing kind of come together? That was definitely a WWE idea. Um, I got signed after I won the heavyweight title. Uh, Jimmy and Danny put the belt on me, and I think that was kind of their push for me to say to the WWE, you need to sign this kid. He, he has talent, um, which I obviously appreciate. That idea came from the WWE. They didn't know what they wanted to do. They had signed Sean Davari because he speaks Farsi. They knew they wanted an Arab gimmick. They just didn't know exactly how they wanted to go. Um, if my memory serves me right, I heard about it from Jimmy Cornette and Arn Anderson, who was the agent in the WWE, came down. Everybody knows Arn, obviously. Um, and the transition was very challenging because Jimmy is very much an old-school kayfabe. And so my character, Mark Magnus, had to lose the title, which I'm very – you know, I did an interview not too long ago, and I almost forgot this. I, I can't believe it. I lost the title to Nick Dinsmore and Johnny Jr. Double pinned, which, which was always a very proud moment for me. Nick Dinsmore being my trainer, Johnny Jeter being my, you know, chief rival and my best friend when I was wrestling coming up in OVW, uh, and then I disappeared for a while, and so that was hard because my life was wrestling, my life was the house shows, my life was the TV. I mean, that was it, and I, I couldn't be on it. I think it was like three or four months, man. I actually, I got a dog, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I was so bored. I got a dog, and, and you know, that, that dog lived with me for almost 12 years, was my best friend, but saw me through thick and thin. But the transition was difficult, and the character, we knew the direction. Well, I don't want to say we knew the direction. We knew what we wanted. We didn't know the direction, and when I first came back to OVW and then very shortly after that when I went on the house shows um, before TV we did a lot of tinkering and and Pat Patterson was somebody who had worked pretty closely with me as far as trying to develop the character but ultimately Sean Devari was influential in developing what our character was because he was experiencing what Muhammad Hassan experienced in reality um, and it was from Sean's experience and then eventually my experience of that character really got steam and, and took off and developed from there. Now, the, the name itself, we always joke around like, oh, they just throw names into a name generator. Was there something to that name, Muhammad Hassan? Did they obviously with the Hassan, they kind of wanted to really kind of throw it out there and make it really strong as far as an Arab name. Was there anything said to you like, hey, what do you what do you think about this name or they just gave it to you and said, that's what it's going to be. You know what? I, 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 to be honest, I don't remember a hundred percent. I don't think I came up with that name. I don't think Sean did. So I'm pretty sure that they just came up with the name Muhammad Hassan. Um, I mean, Muhammad's a very popular Muslim name and then Hassan is, it's a strong name. So I think that that was just entirely a gimmick. They just came up with that name and said it sounded good and they, they plopped it on me and it was, that was an excellent name. I mean, it really was it, it, it kind of it did have that strong kind of very epic presence to it and it still does when you first start playing that role and it's such a heel it's such a strong villain 
is it kind of hard to get used to portraying the character? Because it is like there's heels and then there's the Muhammad Hassan heel, you know, that Iron Sheik heels. Like there's a lot of hatred outside of just wrestling. It's almost like people contribute that to you. You know what I mean? Is it difficult playing that role, being such a villain? You know what? It was. Um, I mean, they prepared me pretty well. And again, I mean, I, I came up with Danny Davis and Jimmy Cornette and Rip Rogers. These guys, you know, they were around back in the day when there was actual real heat and not just phony heat. But it, it doesn't it, it. I think I got the most heat and the most pushback from Muslim fans who felt that we weren't doing their their people justice. Um, and you're right. It was real heat. It wasn't like. I just hate this guy heat. It was, it was political. It was charged. It was relevant. And you know what? It's still relevant today. And, and it was, there's was some real heat that was associated with that character. Now, most of my experiences were pretty good. And I've talked about a few of them, like people moving off the sidewalks when we walk by people calling family members when we're on planes. Cause Sean and I lived the gimmick. We, we wore the gimmick, you know, when we traveled and we wore it outside the arena, but there was a lot of heat that was really associated with this character. And as much as they try to prepare me, I don't think anybody can be prepared for that. I don't mind being the heel. I always preferred it. Um, I don't think I was ever a baby face, maybe for one match. And then I turned on Johnny Jeter and OVW, but, but that was, that was a little bit tough to, to feel like, you know, you're, you're hated because of who you are and, and you could actually be in some danger uh, if, if things got out of control. Such a, like you're right, such a hated, hated character. And it's interesting that, that, you know, with that era and, and obviously all that political chargeness going on and all that real venom happening, especially after uh, 9-11 and all the terrorists. So was that a tough gimmick to get used to? It almost seems like how do you kind of get used to it? Because you're probably getting harassed, like you said, all the time. But was that like almost impossible to get used to playing the character? No, it wasn't. Um, Sean and I became very close and seeing what Sean went through um, as a Muslim American, as a he's from Iran, he's Persian. Um, it, it really did instigate some heat in me towards our country and what we were doing to people for no reason. Now, my family is Italian, but we were immigrants in this country not very long ago, 60, 70 years ago. My family came after come here, came here after World War Two. Um, and so they weren't exactly welcomed with open arms. So coming from an immigrant family, seeing what Sean had went through and then living the gimmick and actually experiencing some of this myself, it really wasn't hard to get into character. That was probably the easiest thing for me to do was become angry and get into character. Um, and I did, I think I got used to it pretty quickly and eventually I embraced it and I embraced the heat because it was good heat. It was strong heat. Um, and I knew that he was, was giving me paychecks, but, uh, I actually believed in what we were doing and I believed in our message and what we were saying. And then that is, we are treating people differently in this country for actions that they did not commit. And for, for reasons that don't make sense and that don't go along with what this country was founded on. So, I mean, it, it's hard to get used to being hated, but it, most of the time it was a good hatred. It was a, it was a playful hatred and, and sometimes it did get serious. And, and so you learn to deal with that as well. Now, when you first get called up, obviously, you know, you're doing some house shows and, and things like that, Maven and, and different guys. But when you really get first put on TV, I mean, it's almost like a, a skyrocket a little bit because 
you know, first interaction was with uh, on Raw with Mick Foley, and you're, you know, you're on TV, you kind of getting this push. Were you surprised that kind of like being thrust right into the limelight right away, getting a you know, big opportunity? A little bit, but I think at the time I didn't really look at it that way. Um, at the time, it was day to day, it was survival, and it, of course, it was through Milk Mick Foley. Are you kidding me? Like, I mean, Mick Foley, The Rock, Steve Austin, those were guys that got me into wrestling. It was watching them that made me think, "Man, this is amazing!" You know, I want to do this. Um, so I was very aware that we were getting a push, uh, and I could uh, I could sense that you know this was a bigger push than most guys who come up first get. Not all. I mean, some guys get you know incredible pushes when they first come in and have a lot of success. I think there was some anxiety about how long the push would last. But at the same time, with Sean and I, it was day to day. It was trying to do our jobs and do it well. And and it was trying to see what they threw at us next and try to adjust to it and do it, like I said, do it good, do it well. And we've had on Sean in the past, and we kind of asked him, and I'd love to get your opinion on this as well. It's when you put two guys together that may not know each other in OVW or may not know each other from the past. You never quite know the chemistry um, you're going to get from the guys. Did you like the pairing at first? Like, did you think like, this is really going to work out well, we're going to have great chemistry together or were you unsure of kind of the chemistry you two were going to have together? I don't know. What did Sean say? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I like Sean right away. I, I think when that character, when they first gave me that character, I can still remember being in practice in OVW. Um, we, at the time, we had a mixture of WWE talent as well as some talent that wasn't WWE that was hopefuls, uh, as I was not too long before that. And cutting promos and trying to get into that character and trying to work with Sean um, I, I never had any qualms about being with Sean. I saw it as a tremendous opportunity. And then once I got to know Sean, uh, I felt very blessed to have him in my corner. Um, and, and I think Sean still is an amazing worker and amazing talent in the business. He's incredibly underrated. But it's hard to remember what my first impressions were other than he's little and dark and he kind of looks like me. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a good pairing. Definitely two heat magnets. You know, you guys were definitely hated for, for sure. And I, I liked the pairing together. And it was interesting that they kind of first put you as more of a dark match with Taboo Tuesday against Sergeant Slaughter. That's kind of interesting and kind of see where you're at. Were you uh, a fan of Slaughter, like, growing up? I know you said you used to watch wrestling and stuff. Were you a fan of that? Were you surprised? Like, wow, this guy used to idolize or, you know, be a fan of. Uh, I'm going to be able to get the chance to wrestle him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That was a phone call home for sure when I found that out. I grew up watching, I mean, uh, this, you know, Sergeant Slaughter and Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant and Roddy Piper and Randy Savage and Junkyard Dog, and I had the action figures, and we used to wrestle and pretend we were them. So to actually get in there and wrestle Sergeant Slaughter, what I was most surprised with is how athletic Sergeant Slaughter still was at the time and how great of a worker he was. So I was incredibly excited. Um and I didn't, I didn't really understand the significance. I think I don't think it was necessarily random that they put us with Sergeant Slaughter and considering his heel turn and the heat that it got, and then now he's mm-hmm. in the face again. But yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. I, I that that is that is still you know one of that's still one of the matches and one of the people that I would name when someone asked me who have you wrestled. Sergeant Slaughter still comes up absolutely. When they're putting together this. You know, great duo of you and Davari, and they're going to give you guys a big push. 
did they say to you maybe study slaughter when he turned heel or study the iron sheet? Did they give you any pointer for like of like, hey, this is kind of the direction we want you to go in, or they're not really as like literal with the character as I might think they would be? You know, I think the character, our spin on the character was so different compared to Slaughter's heel turn and the Iron Sheik that I I wasn't given any direction to watch Slaughter and watch Sheik. Um, I mean, I did anyway. I mean, we we all watched, we all grew up watching them and, you know, there was no direction though to try to mimic what they did because nobody can ever mimic what they did. What we did was our own and it was unique and, and so, no, I was not given any direction like that. One thing that I've noticed through the years in the WWE, when they've given the guy the push, and obviously you were getting a push because you went on a little bit of a winning streak here, but they always tend to put the guy with Jerry Lawler. Obviously, Jerry the King is a huge, huge legend. And they, it always seems like he is almost like a gatekeeper of sorts. Like, let's see how this, you know, how they do with Lawler. And, you know, you kind of had a mini feud with Lawler. Were you thinking of that at the time? Like, well, this is a pretty good opportunity for me. Lawler is a legend. I'm going to get to mix it up with another legend. No. Um, well, no. I mean, obviously, Lawler is a legend. I mean, I didn't. I, I, I don't think at the time I realized that they put new talent with Lawler to see how they would do. Um, I think it was a great way to get heat because he was so over at the time as mm-hmm. a babyface. I think it was a pretty good match. I remember it was Puerto Rico. I think that was my first pay-per-view um and i remember just being happy to be working on it um let alone working jerry lawler i think that was right around the time if i'm wrong or or if i'm right it, it might have been a little after man on the moon came out and, and jerry lawler you know had wrestled manny kaufman which was you know over in my book so uh, working with lawler was fantastic it, it was also just a good introduction for me as being a complete heel willing to take on anybody and, and, and again you know whether they be young old or a legend or not a legend and i think that was probably one of the best ddts i've ever took in that match that's what stands out to me <laughs> <laughs> it's funny what you remember but that's what i remember is i took a great ddt that match i probably sucked for most of it because i was very green but i think i took a good ddt and it is great, though, because, you know, you, you wrestle Slaughter, albeit Darkman, but still Slaughter, interaction with Foley, feud with uh, Jerry the King Lawler, and even the Royal Rumble, when pretty much everyone that was in the ring at that point turns and says, this guy is such a heel, we hate this guy so much, that they all turn and throw you out of the Rumble, almost saying, like, you know, it took 10 of us to throw him out, but we all wanted him out. At that point, did you think, like, wow, it's a kind of a, a cool way to, to be eliminated from a Royal Rumble? Yeah, no, and at that point, I realized that they were going, at at that time, they were going for the kind of heat that no one really had in the company. I mean, of course, we got the top heels, and you always have the Triple H's. You know, you have the guys who know how to go out there and work and get that heat um, at that Royal Rumble, which was amazing, because it doesn't really happen too often. But it was at the Royal Rumble that you kind of, I realized that, this character is 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 getting wings and starting to take flight and and they're they're behind it but um it was definitely really cool to walk in there have everybody stare me down beat the crap out of me and then throw me out there i mean that was my first and only royal rumble having watched the royal rumble with my entire family for the last 20 years or so before that uh, i was still pretty proud to only be in there for about 20 seconds but yeah i mean it, it it was a it was to me it it definitely was a highlight. It was also the signal that Muhammad Hassan was not liked by anybody, whether you were a heel or a babyface. 
this guy has real heat. This guy doesn't have just that fake phony heat that we try to tell you to hate him. Um, it, it was real and, and they were behind it at the time. So it was a pretty, it was pretty amazing. That is a really cool moment. And what a way to say, Hey, I got eliminated by, you know, 10 guys or whatever in the rumble. You know, it took more than one. So it kind of adds to it as well, but that shows that the heels hated you. The baby faces hated you. It was something cool. And it's one of those moments that definitely sticks out. And WrestleMania 21 is another one of those moments that definitely sticks out because Anytime, to me anyway, he's the Babe Ruth of wrestling, but anytime you get to feud or have any kind of interaction with Hulk Hogan, I mean, that, that to me is great, especially when he makes a surprise return, especially all the USA stuff that they were um, putting towards that return and obviously leading to you and him. But what was that like, WrestleMania 21, with the Hulkster? Because that was pretty amazing, pretty epic, and very, very memorable. Oh, yeah. No, that was amazing um, for a lot of different reasons. I mean, it was in Los Angeles, so you had a big crowd. You know, you had, you had to energize. You had to, you know, you had a, you had a crowd that, um, you know, appreciated WrestleMania, especially in L.A., the entertainment aspect of it. And then working with Nick Dinsmore, again, Nick was one of the, the – Nick was the guy who first started training me. My first lesson in OVW, it was Nick Dinsmore. So to be out there with Nick, was it was amazing. Um, and then to have Hulk Hogan come out and Hogan was always good to me. I, I mean, I, I, you know, a lot of things have happened since then, but man, he was always very warm and welcoming, you know, he'd come up behind me and what's up brother and give me a big bear hug and lift me up, which, you know, I mean, I'm not exactly the giant, but I'm not a tiny guy. And for Hogan, you know, he's, he's be able to just pick me up like I was a feather. Um, but it, it was amazing because, to stand in that ring and hear the crowd respond to Hogan and to know that I was a part of that and to be a part of that um, is something that I'll never forget. And it is definitely something to, to hang on my mantle. But the whole experience in, in WrestleMania in general, and then the Raw after that was Shawn Michaels when we started that whole feud with Shawn and eventually Hogan joined in and we, we had our match in Boston, um, that tag match. It, it was just an incredible – it was a – highlight if not the highlight of my career to say that i was in a wrestlemania with hulk hogan um i mean i got my ass kicked but you know what i'll take an ass kicking for that any day of the week <laughs> you know and uh, i gotta tell you mark john and i were both in the crowd at msg that night for the uh, the hulk hogan return it was the first time he had come back to madison square garden since he had been inducted into the hall of fame and we mentioned it to sean when we had sean on and we even talked about it with the coach and we had a coach on not too long ago, and, and it's something that I'll never forget. Literally, the roof nearly blew off of Madison Square Garden when that music hit, and you were in the ring. Tell us what you remember about that night when uh, that literally, and even Shane McMahon was in the crowd going nuts. The the roof nearly came off the arena of Madison Square Garden. Yeah, it's funny you say that because that's exactly what I say. That is exactly what I say when I tell this story. Uh, probably too much is that. I, I learned the meaning of the expression blew the roof off the place because that's what it felt like standing in the middle there. It felt like you were rising off the mat and it, it was so loud. I mean, first of all, I had a pretty good match with Sean and, you know, Sean Michaels is one of the most amazing people to work because he is one of those guys that is where you want him to be or where you need him to be before you even think you need him to be there. Sean is so amazing as a worker 
that it's it's effortless to work with Shawn Michaels. So I had a pretty good match, which I was pumped about. And I, obviously, I knew Hogan was coming out. When Hogan came out, it, it was it was it was so freaking nuts that it felt like the roof was going to blow off MSG, and it felt like Sean Devari and I were literally rising off of the mat in the center of of MSG in the center of the ring. And then Hogan comes down, and I mean, I met Hogan. I've worked with Hogan. I knew it was going to happen, but I was marking out the whole fucking time. Excuse my language. Oh, goddamn, <laughs> marking out. Um, and, and I think I still have the picture. I think it was at MSG of Hogan and I shaking hands after that. That's still in my father's office, and I still have it as well. But oh, it was awesome. I mean, it, 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 you can't beat that. It, I'm from New York too, so I had a lot of friends and family in the crowd. I mean. To have to, to be a part of that and to be able to work with someone like Shawn Michaels and Hulk Hogan, um, I don't know. I mean, how many people Trevor try to be a wrestler and how many get to say that? So that is something I'm incredibly proud of. Uh, been to dozens of shows at MSG and, and that one uh, by far. I mean, it was absolutely unbelievable, uh, the experience. And one of the funny stories I always tell about it is uh, going to the restroom. Not too shortly after that, there was a gentleman in there who was pouring cold water on his face because he had just felt the power of Hulkamania once again. And I kid you not, he was like, wow, wow, dude, I can't believe he was here. It was unbelievable. And we had, John and I were sitting with uh, my cousin and my uncle, and my uncle said he was felt like he was going deaf and that the explosion was bigger, bigger than the Beatles is what he said. So... <laughs> If that yeah, goes to I'm tell sure you, that guy went home and, and said his prayers and took his vitamins that night. <laughs> Absolutely, but again, you know, it led to a huge program for you and and Sean Devari, obviously against Shawn Michaels and Hulk Hogan, and obviously they were starting to build that feud with Hulk and Shawn Michaels, which would be you know a whole other story uh, for the end of the summer. But you know, when that's all going down and you're working with two, you know, at that point a borderline Hall of Famer and Shawn Michaels, and then obviously Hogan, who had just gone in the Hall of Fame. Do you feel the pressure from management? Do you feel uh, Vince giving you more of that, you know, that specific role of, look, these are like one of the biggest stars and the biggest star we've ever created, but we trust you two to get in there and have a good match with them. Did you feel the pressure from Vince uh, taking on that role against Hogan and Shawn Michaels? Yeah, you know what? You definitely do because at that time, I believe I was I was 25 or 24, um, and Davari and I were cutting promos backstage. We were cutting promos in the ring. Then we were wrestling a match. I mean, you, you know, at the time, Raw was, what, two hours and 15 minutes? And we were like 30 minutes of it. So it is a lot of pressure to, to have the weight of the company on you and to be carrying that kind of heat because, like I said before, that was real heat. But you know what? At the same time, working with someone like a Shawn Michaels, and I could I can run the gamut of lists because I was blessed with who I had to work with or who I got to work with. You feel at ease because they take care of you, and they're such professionals, and they're so amazing. And Hulk Hogan, obviously, they're so amazing in the ring. They know exactly what to do to work the crowd. That yeah, you feel that pressure, but once that match starts. You're calm, man. You trust that those guys are going to take care of you. And no matter how bad you screw up, they're going to be able to cover it, fix it, and make you look good while they do it. So what's your relationship like with Vince at that point? Are you able to go to him and kind of input stuff creatively to the character? Are you still just taking direction from whatever the, the creative powers that be are giving to you? Or are you just kind of, you know, on a, a need-to-speak basis? When he needs to speak, that's when you guys talk. Like, What kind of relationship did you have with Vince at that point? 
Uh, it was more of a need to speak. I mean, Vince was always receptive, always open. You know, yeah, he was he was always very approachable. Um, I dealt with Stephanie a lot. Stephanie was was a head writer, the head writer at the time. So, you know, she would kind of tell Sean and I what what we needed to hit. And then we were lucky enough to have the freedom to go out there because, you know, when we went out there, we got so much heat. You really couldn't say, okay, you guys have three minutes because the crowd could boo for two and a half. And then we're not going to be able to say shit. So we were lucky enough to have that sort of freedom. Um, Vince wasn't highly involved with us at the time. I, thinking back on it, uh, Vince was very involved with the angles with Batista and with Cena. Um, you know, we were, again, Stephanie, some of the writers, you know, Pat Patterson, you know, a lot of the agents would work with us as well. But we had a lot of freedom in the ring when we came to talking. Um, and, you know, the final promo that I cut, that was that was all us. That was all Sean and I, and we we were able. They trusted us enough to send us out there and say, "Look, you got seven minutes. Go piss everybody off and promote your match coming up." Um, but Vince was always good to me. I have no qualms with Vince McMahon. He was very approachable. He he runs that business like that is obviously his life and his passion. Um, but as far as my character goes, at least to my face, Vince wasn't incredibly involved. So obviously, you know, that summer was a huge summer and, uh, you know, obviously you'd reached a lot of the, the highest pinnacle of your run and then obviously experienced a huge, you know, low point with what ended up having to happen to, you know, the whole entire uh, character and the gimmick and the experience. Uh, but then again, you know, just like kind of in the vein of the Shawn Michaels and Hulk Hogan deal now, when you're kind of approached with you're moving from Raw now over to SmackDown, so you kind of get to reinvigorate the character which was pretty cool at the time because the brand extension was still kind of special at that point. Uh, so you got to kind of reintroduce yourself and, and get a new life. But being put together with The Undertaker, obviously, that's another huge step in somebody's career. So, again, do you feel that they're ready to give you the ball for the ultimate push as they give you the guy who's really the conscience of the company at that point? Yeah, no, that, and, and we knew at that point. And, and to be honest, it felt too good to be true. Unfortunately, that's the way it turned out. But... You know, The Undertaker was, he's The Undertaker. I, I, I don't even know where to begin. Um, my first ever WWE appearance was a dark match in Louisville when I was Mark Magnus in OVW, uh, and I worked with him briefly. I ran in, and he gave me, uh, I think, the choke slam in the last ride. Um, but to work with him on SmackDown, which, you know, I, I to be honest, I was against moving to SmackDown. I mean, there's a difference between network and cable television. I didn't think we'd have that kind of leeway and freedom of expression um, on cable as we would with network. But uh, I was thrilled to be able to work with The Undertaker. I mean, I put, right, I put him right up there with Hulk Hogan, and he was amazing to work with. I worked a lot of house shows with him, a lot of dark matches. It wasn't just that one match in Buffalo. And... At the time, the way it was going, I did realize that my character was fortunate enough to be in a position where they, they looked at me like I could carry the company and carry SmackDown. And I, I do believe I was, I was set up for a title run against Batista. But, you know, shit happens. <laughs> yeah, obviously, a lot of shit happened uh, that summer. And it ended up, you know, obviously, it wasn't just with your push and what they were doing with your character. But obviously, it was worldwide implications that were going on. But one thing that you just hit on that ultimately kind of led to what the end of the character was, was the fact that you went from that raw live environment to the taped SmackDown environment, which 
that two days that that show was in the can ended up being a pretty goddamn big two days in your career. So obviously, if you could have had your druthers and stayed on Raw, obviously you probably would have stayed on Raw. Yeah, and you know a little bit was in when it was explained to me, and I remember Stephanie telling me this is a big opportunity, this is a big push. We believe in the character, and of course I appreciated that. Again, in my arrogance and in my youth, I was a little bit more upset that I was leaving my friends on Raw um, because at that time I, you know, I had a lag. It's pretty pretty well documented the trouble I had in the locker room coming up. But at that time, that was behind me, and I finally had a place, and I had friends, and I had a niche, and I felt comfortable. And so to uproot me and put me to SmackDown, I, I was. I remember, <laughs> I remember when I found out. Um, I don't know if it was the next day. I don't know when it was. I just know that wherever I was, I spent the entire day in my hotel room with the shades drawn and 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 the lights off. I was pretty upset about the move, but. Um, <clears throat> Coming, coming in, that locker room was much more difficult. And and looking back on it in hindsight, obviously if I would have stayed on Raw, that never would have happened because I never would have feuded with The Undertaker and we never would have done you know the program that we did and we never would have had the, the, the people run in. But you know, hindsight's 2020. There's just a little bit more we could have gotten away with on Spike than, than UPN at the time. So what are you going to do? I mean, again, that's how the cards fell and, and that's the way it worked out. And, and I have no regrets and, and I don't look back and, and wish anything happened any way other than how it happened. Yeah. UPN really pressured WWE to kind of get you off TV after that whole angle with the, the you know, London bombings controversy with the Max Men and Davari and the martyr and all that stuff in a weird way. And, and I could correct me if I'm wrong. And, and maybe, but it's kind of my opinion though. I kind of thought that was, Maybe uh, too soon or whatever. It was kind of cool in a weird way because it was like, wow, they're really going there. Like that, you know that that's you know that's deep. You know they're really doing this. Is, did they ever strike you like, wow, this is this is kind of intense? Or were you thinking, uh oh, you know we're in trouble now? No, you know what? At the time, you know, it's funny I say at the time because that was Tuesday, and then by Thursday, that that shit became very real. Um, at the time, I thought it was pretty epic. I mean, I thought that they were taking this angle and they were taking the angle of the Undertaker and they were taking the character of Muhammad Hassan and, and they were taking him from a, a mid-level kind of heat because of the hypocrisy that Hassan pointed out in our general American crowds and demographic and they were escalating it and I was all for it. I mean, I, I thought that was actually, yeah, I thought that was like, wow, that is intense. Okay, let's do it. Um, not to mention it's with the undertaker, you know, of all wrestlers. Uh, but you know what? It's funny how things change in two days because by Thursday, that was not a good idea. So crazy. And I, I know in this, in a weird way, I still kind of like, wow, I like that they did that. Cause it's so intense. It really kind of makes you hate that character even more. And, and it really makes you think like, man, that that's like, a. um, pretty you know just it's just pretty like cool in, in a weird way like how dark it is and obviously mm -hmm. it leads to great american bash against the undertaker and kind of a, a you know a, a good match but a weird way to kind of end it and almost getting quote-unquote killed off and which is weird in, in the wrestling business too, with like a character would actually get physically killed as you know you get powerbombed <laughs> through through, through uh, the ramp and there's right. blood and everything is that like a strange way to kind of get killed off TV or what? Yeah, I mean, it's it's very soap opera-ish. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yep. 
Um, I don't think there's been too many characters killed off. It was definitely a pretty strong signal that Muhammad Hassan was not coming back. Uh, that's for damn sure. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it, it was it was a little weird. And at the same time, I knew it was coming at that point. Um, you know, we, we struggled with it for a little while about what was going to happen with the character, what was going to happen with Sean and I. Um, I. I had a feeling that there was no coming back for me at that point. And there may have been, you know, in the distant future, but not in the near future. So, yeah, I mean, and again, everything that, that my character had done in the short amount of time that I was on the show was to epic. I mean, it, it was big. We went big. We went big quick. We rose quick. And then, you know, not only did we fall quick, but we we got killed off. <laughs> I got killed, you know. So it wasn't a surprise. Um, and I think it was a pretty fitting end to the character. And I think Muhammad Hassan getting killed off, and I'll credit Davari with saying it, is the end of the Attitude Era of WWE. Because after that, they kind of softened their program. Really, really did. And if that happened during the Attitude Era, I really think that they would have just kept going with it and like, oh, UPN, you know, too bad. Or, you know, whoever, they would have said, too bad. You know, this is a great angle and it's getting real heat. We, you know, they would have just keep, they kept going with it. You agree with that, that they probably would have just, you know, just said, so what to the critics and just kind of um, put their head down and went forward with it. Did you ask me if I think they would have done that? Yeah. Yep. Oh, um, you know what? I don't know. Uh, I think the the heat that they got from sponsors and from, you know, Muslim groups and anti-Muslim groups, I don't know. I mean, they might have had a little bit more power to do that, you know, if we're talking about five or six years before that. But, you know, the Muhammad Hassan character, it was at the very, very, very end of the Attitude Era. And, and I think at that point, you know, they, they, they didn't have a leg to stand on as far as keeping the character around. They couldn't justify the character. And at that point, people were so outraged as well as what had been happening in the world to to have Muhammad Hassan in the ring and speaking about these things. It was almost in poor taste. Gotcha. It, it's, it would have been interesting to see if they really would have went forward with it. But obviously, in that day and age, they ended the character, and, and you kind of alluded to it. There was a huge rumor going on before that happened that you were going to win the the world title over Batista at SummerSlam, and it kind of all seemed to be leading in that direction. Was that ever said to you? Yeah, the way it was put to me was that's going to be the FU to America beating the Golden Boy in his hometown of the national nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Um, so, yeah, though that was said, and that was the plan. I don't think I would ever beat The Undertaker cleanly. It definitely would have been a screw job, but and I, I and Batista as well. But yeah, that no, that was the plan. Um, and again, the funny thing again was at the time I lived in DC, you know, where Batista lived as well. So no, that that was said, and that that was the direction that we were going. It's kind of crazy to think that it went from that to killing off the character to being released. And, you know, your your departure and then you really your departure from the business, because then you would retire. You never really entered the independent wrestling scene at all. It basically went from probably going to win the world title to retired to not entering the scene. And then, you know, then obviously with what you're doing today, was that shocking at all to you? Was that almost like a shock to the system that, you know, not only should I or could I have won the title maybe in a different day or a different age, but I'm going to retire from the business entirely? 
Yeah, I don't know if that was ever my plan. I mean, obviously, I would have loved to have won the title to be able to have my name in the, in the history books among the greats, uh, WWE who won that title. Um, but, you know, when I – someone had put it not too long ago that I had my heart broken by wrestling. And I, and I disagreed at the time, but the more I've reflected on it, the more I think that that was pretty pretty accurate. I think that I, I did. I think that I was so jaded and disenchanted with the business that I just didn't want to do it anymore. Um, I wasn't having fun. I mean, obviously when, when we were going through the controversy with what happened after that SmackDown with the undertaker, it wasn't fun. It was, it was pretty disruptive as far as, you know, the anxiety that it produced of whether or not it's going to have a job the next day. So I think when I decided I was done with wrestling, I needed to break away and be done with wrestling. And now, and, and it really wasn't until years later before I even did my first autograph signing or appearance. And it really isn't until now that I feel like I'm, I'm okay with doing some more of them, but because I, I kind of needed that time to get the rest of my life and my new life back on track. But, you know, it, it was, it was pretty jarring. You know, it happened quick. That's all I can say is it just, you go from being on top of the world one minute to not being welcome on SmackDown or raw and, and, and like you said, being released the next. And as I start to hit the wind down button, as we enter the, the final stages of the interview here, I just so curious because it was only really a, I don't know, six, seven month run, but so many big wrestlers that you uh, you know faced Cena for the WWE title, Batista for the world title, Undertaker, uh, JBL, Booker T, Kurt Angle. Um, we mentioned Slaughter and Foley and getting in there with Hogan and Michaels. I mean, so many big things happen in such a short amount of time. Is it possible that you have a favorite match or a favorite moment? Would it be like the MSG or, or what would be maybe a couple favorite matches that you have with your run there? Uh, that's tough. I, I had a lot of incredible matches. I mean, I worked with a, a lot of incredible talent. Um, MSG is probably the highlight because, again, Shawn Michaels was amazing. He was always great to me. Shawn was one of those guys who was never intimidated, never, you know, he could care less about my push because he's fucking Shawn Michaels uh, and obviously Hogan coming out. Um, I don't know, man. I mean – you know, the, the Undertaker, that last match, I had a lot of family there in Buffalo. I'm from Syracuse. We're only two hours away. I had a lot of great matches with Chris Jericho and Shelton Benjamin. Um, you know what? It would be hard for me to pinpoint one moment. If I had to gun to my head, it would be MSG. Uh, there's nothing really compares to being in the ring and having Hulk Hogan come out and point both those fingers at you and knowing that MSG <laughs> is <Kigan's> coming. So <laughs> it'd be hard. It's hard to top that. But I got a lot of close seconds and thirds. So, and there's like we mentioned, Chris Jericho, and even a guy like Chris Benoit too, another great uh, wrestler, uh, Eddie Guerrero. Just, I mean, so many different mm-hmm. legendary, awesome wrestlers you can in in the ring with. Even if you go back to OVW with uh, the Ortons of the world and, and uh, Brock Lesnar, obviously, so many guys. Would you possibly be able to narrow down like a favorite opponent of yours or somebody you really? meshed well with in the ring you know what yeah i think i could i mean it would be sean michaels or chris jericho both of those guys were very similar for me to work they they put themselves in positions given my inexperience and how green i was that made me look good but made it easy 
Um, I would say favorite opponent. I had I, Sean was amazing to work with, and Sean and I, Sean again, he took care of me. But Chris and I had fun, uh, and Chris, Chris, Sean, Davari, and I, um, we all got along pretty well. So when we would we would do a lot of dark matches or a lot of not dark matches, house shows, uh, and usually Chris and I, the, after we did a few, the discussion would be finish one or finish two, eh, finish two, and that's all we would talk about. And then we would go out there and we would just have fun. We would have a good time. So. Not that I, I mean, I obviously enjoyed working with all the talent that I was blessed to work with, but I, I think Chris Jericho, because I, I, I had so much fun working with him, and we would just go out there and be light and fun, um, and we got to, you know, we would talk in the match, and we'd try to make each other laugh, and Sean would be involved outside the ring. Uh, so, again, if I had to pick one, that would be, it would be him. Now, you know, Mark, the way we usually wrap up the show is we always take, like, the Barbara Walters special uh, question, or we say, you know, it's very uh, introspective, or inside the actor's studio portion of the uh, the interview. But when you look back at what you did in your career, obviously you, you've talked about what you did as Mohamed Hassan. We didn't really get a chance to dive into the OVW career, which I would love to have done, but for the sake of time, we'll just kind of let that be. But... When you look at what you've done outside of wrestling and what you've done now getting more into the administration role in, in the schools, obviously that's where you're supposed to be. So when fans close the book on Muhammad Hassan, what do you want them to rem remember about Mark Capani rather than just that character of Muhammad Hassan? You know what I would say? I would like people to remember that regardless of the different spectrums my careers have been on, um, when I decide to dedicate myself to something and I'm passionate about something, I do it well and I put everything I have into it. And I think I did that with wrestling in my short career. And I think I've done it since in education, um, with my, my career now and in the future. No, that's, uh, that's great. Cause what you're doing now is, uh, it's an amazing job. And, uh, you know, like I said, my wife's a teacher, so I see what you guys have to do on your end. And, uh, it's, it's really, it takes, uh, it takes a very strong willed person to do what you do. And I give you all the credit in the world and we really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I know you, you're keeping you up a little bit later, maybe than you should be. You got an early day tomorrow. <laughs> so, uh, we appreciate you coming on, but before we let you go, please share with the listeners of the two man power trip. If there's any place they can go check out Mark Capani. If you got anything you want to share in terms of social media, please, after all you've said, the floor is yours. Oh, thank you. Uh, you know what? I, I have been taking more bookings lately. Like I said, it's been, what, 15 years, 12 years, and I'm finally starting to get back out there. But I'm going to be at Heroes Hideout in Rensselaer, which is right outside of Albany, on April 14th. I'm going to be at the Amsterdam Elks on April 28th. I'm going to do a signing at the mall up there and do a little appearance on their show. And then I'm going to be at Legends of the Ring in Monroe, New Jersey on June 9th. So, uh, if anybody wants to book me for a show, um, I'm not really doing a lot of wrestling. I'll do some run-ins. I'll definitely do appearances and signings. Uh, but they can message me on Facebook. Um, they can message me on Twitter at mcapani1. Uh, and they can also email me at mcapani, C-O-P-A-N-I, at oswego, O-S-W-E-G-O dot E-D-U. Very, very nice. We will see you at Legends of the Ring in Monroe, New Jersey. We will be there as well. So looking forward to uh, shaking your hand and thanking you in person for the great interview tonight. But, Mark, it's been a ton of fun. I appreciate you uh, coming on and talking about this stuff. And like I said, didn't even get to even really talk about OVW, and I would love to do that at a later date. So if we can get you back on, definitely love to dig into that. 
You know, and I'd love to because OVW, that was probably the most positive experience of my career in wrestling. I, I loved everything about OVW. I'd love to talk about it, man. Whatever you want me back on, I'll definitely do it. Awesome. We appreciate it. And uh, obviously, uh, all the best. All right. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.